Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. President Biden addressing the nation before Congress tonight. His State of the Union set to cover America's role in the Ukraine war, as well as a new plan to tackle inflation and mental health. Russian forces fire at the Kyiv TV tower and the largest public square in Ukraine on day six of the war. Satellite images show a Russian military convoy stretching for 40 miles north of Kyiv. And as Russian forces are closing in on the capital city, NTD's reporter in Ukraine speaks with civilians who are helping the defense. The People's Convoy holds a rally in Missouri as it makes its way to the nation's capital in protest of pandemic measures. Along the journey, the convoy meets with an outpouring of support. Multiple states are reversing their indoor mask mandates. Changes take place today, with more to come later this month. We've got more updates for you. President Biden is speaking before Congress tonight in his first official State of the Union address. And for the first time in two decades, talk of war will be a heavy topic on the agenda. But Biden will also make the case for his plans here at home. He's expected to announce new plans to tackle inflation and the mental health crisis. NTD's Melina Weiskup is there covering it and tells us what we can expect from the speech. President Biden, in his speech tonight, will certainly address America's response to the Russia-Ukraine war. And specifically, he plans to highlight the sanctions that he's placed on Russia and Russian President Vladimir Putin and the effect that those sanctions have had on Russia's economy so far. Biden will also highlight the extensive U.S. aid that has been sent to Ukraine during their time of need. But aside from focusing on this war overseas, Biden will also address his plans domestically as far as the economy and pandemic recovery. Now, Specifically in regards to the pandemic, Biden's expected to hone in on the ripple effects that the pandemic has had on Americans' mental health. He's expected to outline a new plan for addressing this widespread mental health issue. The White House this morning just laid out the details of this plan and, and called it a unity agenda because this is a way that Biden's trying to really bring both parties together since mental health is something that both parties generally stand behind and support. And as for the economy, President Biden will certainly talk about the lowered unemployment rates as well as the six million jobs that have been created during his presidency. He's also expected to address inflation and his plans for tackling inflation. The White House just said this morning that he would outline a new four-point plan for tackling inflation. Now we've heard in the past from President Biden and we'll probably hear this again tonight that he thinks the Build Back Better bill is his top solution, his preferred solution for tackling inflation. And it will be interesting to hear the language that he uses when he talks about this Build Back Better bill, because we know that members of Congress, leadership in Congress, the White House is talking about breaking this Build Back Better bill up into different pieces. So if we pay attention to the language that Biden uses when he's talking about this, we may be able to catch some of what are his top priorities, his must passes in this Build Back Better bill. Now, Biden will also address his plans for lowering costs on gas. Gas prices are at a seven-year high, but Biden has yet to outline a specific 
plan for how to lower these prices at the pump. Now, at the same time this speech is happening, the president continues to slip in the polls. The latest poll numbers from CNN show that just 40% of Americans approve of President Biden's time in office so far, and 54% of Americans disapprove of his performance so far. So as President Biden is giving the speech tonight, it does come with pressure, and we'll hear from him soon. And security is a little tighter on Capitol Hill tonight. The National Guard is on standby, and even New York City police are on Capitol grounds. And while 700 National Guard troops are on standby, none of them are from Florida. Governor Ron DeSantis rejected Biden's request to, de to deploy his state's National Guard to help secure the Capitol. New York police are helping out because local D.C. police have their hands full monitoring that trucker convoy that is headed to New Washington. Pandemic restrictions are more relaxed than last year. There will still be some social distancing, masks are optional, and members must show a negative COVID test result to enter. NTD will broadcast President Biden's State of the Union address live at 9 o'clock Eastern Time tonight. And in the face of Russia's war on Ukraine, three U.S. commanders testified before the Strategic Forces Committee. Their concern, maintaining nuclear deterrence capability. NTD's Arlene Richards has the story. At an open meeting today, U.S. Navy, Air Force and Space Commanders testified before the Strategic Forces Subcommittee about their current readiness to respond to global threats. They are particularly concerned about Russia and China. I have previously emphasized our need to be able to deter two adversaries at the same time. That need is now an imperative. I've said this before, and I think it's worth repeating. Every operational plan in the Department of Defense and every other capability we have rests on an assumption that strategic deterrence, and in particular nuclear deterrence, is holding. And if strategic or nuclear deterrence fails, no other plan and no other capability in the Department of Defense will work as designed. Our competitors, especially Russia and China, are spreading disinformation, actively sowing division and internal discord with the intent to undermine the foundation of our nation, our democracy, and other democracies around the world. A representative for the Department of Defense said it is urgent to maintain U.S. deterrence. We must diligently calibrate our strategic posture, which is underwritten by our nuclear missile defense space and hypersonic strike capabilities to these developments. The commanders are poised to execute strategic defense, but they say they need consistent funding to improve their ability to detect threats anywhere in the world. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. Heavy fighting continues in and around Ukraine's major cities. Russian forces fired on Kyiv's main TV tower and other civilian sites. Residential areas in Ukraine's second largest city also came under heavy bombardment. NTD's Allison Lee has more. Five people were killed and another five were injured when Russian troops fired at the Kyiv TV tower on Tuesday. They also hit Ukraine's main Holocaust memorial and other civilian sites. The tower is a couple of miles from central Kyiv, and at least some Ukrainian TV channels briefly stopped broadcasting. The mayor of Kyiv says Ukrainian troops will continue to defend the capital city. The situation is threatening. The enemy wants to take the heart of our country, but we will fight and we will not give up Kyiv. Russia's defense ministry announced it will target transmission facilities in Kyiv used by Ukraine's intelligence agency, and they urge people living near these sites to leave their homes. 
Satellite images taken by Maxar Technologies on Monday show a Russian military convoy north of Kyiv, stretching for about 40 miles. A senior Pentagon official told reporters in a conference call that they believe the majority of Russian troops are trying to advance into major Ukrainian cities. Russia also says it has gained control over Ukraine's coastline along the Sea of Azov. As of today, the Ukrainian armed forces' access to the Sea of Azov has been fully blocked. Ukraine's second-largest city, Kharkiv, which is home to 1.5 million people, came under heavy bombardment on Monday night and Tuesday morning. Russian officials shelled the city's central square, the region's Soviet area administrative building, and residential areas. It was the first time Russian forces hit the center of the city. At least six people were killed. It's terror against the city, against Kharkiv, against Ukraine. There was no military target at the square, as well as in other residential districts of Kharkiv, which have been hit by rocket artillery. Russia continues to deny that it targets civilian and residential areas. The country's foreign ministry now warns the European Union against supplying weapons to Ukraine. They say there will be a harsh response to the EU actions. But Russia didn't specify what it would do. The Ukrainian president continues to appeal to the European Union. He asked the EU parliament on Tuesday. The European Union is going to be much stronger with us, so that's for sure. Without you, Ukraine is going to be alone. We have proven our strength. We have proven that, at a minimum, we are exactly the same as you are. So prove that you are with us. Prove that you will not let us go. And Ukraine is now allowing foreign nationals, except Russian nationals, who want to join the armed forces and fight against Russia, to enter Ukraine without a visa. Allison Lee, NTD News. Many Ukrainian citizens are fleeing their homes as Russian forces advance, but some are doing whatever they can to help defend their country. NTD's Anna Varava brings us behind the scenes where Ukrainian women are helping out. The UN says more than half a million people have fled their homes to escape the war in their cities. People all over the countries are united in helping those who have been displayed from their homes. In one of the municipal buildings of Mukachevo, which is 25 to 30 miles from the borders of Hungary and Slovakia, local volunteers as well as migrants joined forces. While many local men have gone into territorial defense or into the army, women are involved in helping displaced people, helping in the kitchen or weaving camouflage nets. The nets serve to cover military equipment and engineering structures from various Russian reconnaissance methods. Violeta Kamentsova is from Kyiv. She came here with her six-year-old son. She says that she feels at ease and more useful being here. I feel hope that we need to defend ourselves because I will not be able to live in the country they want to make. I don't want to lose my right to protest against the war, and I don't understand how people can trust a person who forbids protesting against war. How can you live in such a world? I do not want such a future for my son. I want him to live in a free country, to speak any language he chooses, but I will make him choose Ukrainian. I just want us to have a prosperous, normal country as we have had. No, it's not hard for me to weave. It's a joy. I can rest here mentally and forget about our problems a little bit. I hope that Ukraine will win. I hope for our soldiers. It is very important that the military does not die and that the country is protected. Valentina is from Mukachevo. She is 70 years old and retired. 
She came here to distract herself from anxious thoughts and to make herself useful. No, it's not hard for me to weave. It's a joy. I can rest here mentally and forget about our problems a little bit. I hope that Ukraine will win. I hope for our soldiers. Local resident Victoria came with her daughter Christina. It is very important that the military does not die and that the country is protected. I want us to have peace. I don't want our guys to die. So that's all we can do. And at the moment, women can help with their hands, their will and their prayer. We pray, go to church and help here. Because our defenders are the most desperate, the most sincere and the most courageous. I know many who went to war, and I know a boy who died who is from Mukachevo. War is evil. If a person goes with evil, he's already a rapist and cannot bring anything good. We are told that they came to release us and help us, but our children are being killed. We are crying. Our children are sleeping in fear and wondering where they can hide. I hope for peace. I hope for God's mercy. I know that everything will be fine with us. The main thing is to believe in that and help to each other. If you have some spare time, please come and do not live in fear because they want us to be afraid, but we are not afraid. Hundreds of migrants receive help in the center every day. Good action takes place here. By our actions, we are approaching victory over the enemy. I want to contribute to the victory. I can't fight yet. I'm still a minor, but I can help. As they say now, if you can fight, go help. Global supply chains were already struggling with soaring prices. Now flight bans connected to the Ukraine crisis are likely to make things a whole lot worse. Transportation between Europe and Asia looks hardest hit, with airlines having to cancel or reroute flights between the regions. Longer flights means more fuel used and higher costs. Carrying more fuel also means carrying less cargo, again driving costs higher. Back in December, air freight rates were already 150 percent above 2019 levels. Now, cargo prices look set to go even higher. And the Russian invasion is now threatening the global wheat supply. There are no sanctions banning Russian food imports, but the war itself is creating real problems for supply chains and exports. NTD's Evelyn Lee has more. Together, Russia and Ukraine produce over a quarter of the world's wheat supply. Prices of wheat Tuesday rose to their highest level since 2008. Out of the 207 million ton international wheat trade, 17 percent is from Russia, the largest wheat exporter, and 12 percent is from Ukraine, according to Bank of America. At the moment, the U.S. and the EU haven't banned imports of food from Russia. Andrei Sizov is the managing director at an analytics firm for Russian, Ukrainian and Kazakhstan agricultural markets. He says as of now, sanctions are not the problem. He says there are still some banks that are not cut off from SWIFT and they also have other ways of communication. The biggest problem, as I, as I mentioned, it's just a war itself and ports are closed. No one is willing to send their vessels to the region. He says exports for both Russia and Ukraine are currently close to zero. Bloomberg reported that some Russian exporters are still fulfilling existing contracts. Uh, but uh, I don't think it will last for long because ship owners probably won't uh, send any ships to the regions anytime soon because of no insurance or just crazy insurance rates. 
Bloomberg Intelligence reports that shortages of food and energy could cause prices to soar. And we're already feeling the impact. Wheat futures in Chicago jumped nearly 9% Monday. That's the highest they've been in more than 13 years. But while it's a problem here, poorer countries will be the hardest hit. Consumers in places like Egypt, for instance, already spend around 50% of their income on food. On the other hand, farmers in the U.S. and the EU, among other producing countries, could benefit from the export disruptions. Sizov says in the best-case scenario, the disruptions will only last a few days, and after a few weeks, things will recover again. But it's more likely that it'll take more time to be resolved. Evelyn Lee, NTD News. Coming up, the People's Convoy Against Pandemic Measures holds a rally in Missouri as it makes its way to the nation's capital. And along the journey, the convoy is meeting with an outpouring of support. We hear from some of the supporters. You want to fly over the Statue of Liberty, Central Park, and dive into vibrant New York City streets? The city's latest attraction lets you do just that. That and more on NTD News. The People's Convoy started in California almost a week ago. They're protesting pandemic mandates and restrictions. Now, they're a few days away from arriving in Washington, D.C. Last night, they held a rally in Missouri, and NTD's Jason Perry was on the scene. This is the People's Convoy, and even though the trucks might have started it, it's the American people that are going to finish it. People in Missouri gathered in front of a truck stop in the city of Cuba in support of the People's Convoy. This gentleman is a single father of a two-year-old. He was a pizza deliverer for 22 years until he lost his job in November because of the vaccine mandate. His religious exemption was denied. They didn't give me anything uh, besides just uh, have a good day and uh, just a piece of paper that said, uh, hey, go home. You know, and uh, it's really sad, you know, that uh, our uh, country has come to this um, just because somebody has a religious belief. There's no way that people should be losing their jobs if they don't get the vaccine. Um, there's no way that religious exemptions should be denied without accommodation. There's no reason. These mandates that people don't want to comply with, you shouldn't have to comply with them. You know, being an American, that's what it's all about. The organizer of the People's Convoy said he got the idea from the Canadian protests. He said for anyone who can't participate in the convoy but wants to follow along can visit thepeoplesconvoy.org. I've been greatly encouraged by how many people actually do care about liberty. Uh, it's, it's incredible how much the convoy has grown and I'm having a hard time fathoming it and seeing all the people on the overpasses and lining the roads, it's just incredible. Now that the rally is over, a lot of people have stayed and they're hanging out and getting to know each other. And now they say they're coming together for freedom. And the next stop is Indianapolis, Indiana. Jason Perry, NTD News, Missouri. And the convoy is meeting with an outpouring of support as it makes its way to the Capitol. Highway overpasses have become a popular spot for supporters together. Some are driving from miles away just to cheer the convoy on as it passes by. NTD's Jason Perry again with supporters in Missouri. The People's Convoy is now going through St. Clair, Missouri. And as you can see, lots of people are out here with American flags showing their support for the truckers. Some people drove for several hours just to get to this bridge and to wave at the truckers driving by. 
The crowds in Missouri were just as big as the groups in Oklahoma and Texas. We need to get something done about the high fuel prices and these roads, you know, this is this and, and these mandate stuff. We don't need none of this mandate stuff. If people want the vax, go get it, but don't force other people to do it. That's why we're out here. This gentleman here is the owner of this truck. He, like a number of supporters, has more grievances than just vaccine mandates and pandemic restrictions. And why did you want to bring your truck out here today? Uh, just to show patriotism for the truckers. The truckers definitely need a break. Everybody needs a break. Uh, fuel's outrageous. You know, there's, they're trying to muzzle everybody. Biden's probably the worst president I've ever known in history, even studied in high school. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, there needs to be a lot of changes. It's going to take a long way to get back to where we was. So why did you want to come out here today? Just show our support for the truckers and that we support freedom in the USA. Makes me feel great for living in a country where we got the freedom to do this. I've been to other countries, you know, the Philippines and, 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 and Thailand and places like that. They don't have the freedom we got here. And the reason we got it is because of our constitution and our guns. We're using this as a homeschool day to learn about patriotism and standing up for the freedoms that our forefathers uh, fought about. We're learning that in first grade and fourth grade, so um, it's kind of seeing firsthand um, what our forefathers and our patriots have just fought for. So I just think it's great that we're getting back into a united nation and, and showing our support, whether which aisle you're on or you know which side you support. It's, it's nice to see people getting united again. Now that the People's Convoy has passed through, lots of people have left, but others are still staying. And cars that are driving by continue to honk in their support for the truckers. Jason Perry, NTD News, Missouri. Multiple Democrat states are now abolishing their indoor mask policies, giving more Americans the freedom to unmask if they prefer. NTD's Miguel Moreno has the bird's eye view. Across America, the ability to show your smile indoors is being restored. California ended its mask mandate for most indoor settings on Tuesday. The governors of Oregon and Washington state say they'll do the same this month on the 12th. That same day, all three states, in a coordinated fashion, will allow students to unmask in school. In a joint statement, the governors ascribed the policy update to declining case rates and declining hospitalization rates. New York State is expected to eliminate its mask mandate for students earlier on Wednesday. In the heart of American politics, Washington Mayor Muriel Bowser allowed the indoor mask rule to expire on Tuesday. But the locations mentioned on this map have their exceptions. For example, masks are still required in some places, like hospitals. Over the weekend, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, known as the CDC, updated its mask guidelines. Now it only recommends universal indoor masking to people living in areas with high infection rates. That's about a third of the U.S., according to the CDC's measurements. But the federal mask mandates go untouched for now. The cloth is required on transportation networks like airports and buses and trains. At the moment, it's unclear when the president will undo these policies. Miguel Moreno, NTD News. Baseball's lockout of their players started back on December 2nd. Since that time, teams have had to pause all transactions, meaning no free agents have signed since. But with talks on a new deal progressing and a spring training start looming, a flurry of transactions are expected to follow. NTD's Dave Martin tells us what to expect. 
In case you forgot, Max Scherzer already signed with the Mets. Javier Baez went to the Tigers, and for $325 million, Corey Seager became a Texas Ranger. But there are still plenty of remaining all-star free agents out there. We start with the most sought after, Carlos Correa. The 27-year-old shortstop picked the perfect time to have his best season last year, finishing fifth in the MVP voting and picking up his first Gold Glove award. Always regarded as one of the most talented players, injuries have usually kept him from reaching his full potential. Expect him to be the next $300 million player. Trevor's story would be a nice consolation prize to whatever team misses out on Korea. While the risk with Korea is his injury history, Story's offensive numbers are inflated by the thin air in Colorado. A career 303 hitter at home, it drops to just 241 on the road. Yet Story's defense at a premium position and speed on the base pass are enough to predict a nine-figure deal. Chris Bryant may be the most difficult to figure out. The four-time All-Star won MVP in 2016, though his offensive numbers have been in a slow decline the last four years. Defensively, the 30-year-old is versatile, yet average, but that never gets better with age. Look for him to sign some kind of deal that allows for him to re-enter free agency in a year or two after he's re-established his value. Freddie Freeman seemed to lock to re-sign with the world champion Braves, but the fact that they couldn't get a deal done before the lockout seems to signal a significant gap in negotiations. The former MVP is a five-time All-Star and one of the most consistent hitters in the game. Yet at age 32, the length of a contract will surely be a sticking point in negotiations. In the end, expect a return to Atlanta, though. Clayton Kershaw has been Dodger royalty since being drafted by the team back in 2006. Yet he made just 22 starts last year and posted his highest ERA since his rookie season of 2008. Still, no one expects him to be anywhere but back in L.A., though he'll undoubtedly have to come down from his $31 million salary. Baseball executives have been plotting their next moves for nearly three months now. As soon as the lockout ends, expect a blur of transactions to begin. Dave Martin, NTD News, New York. And breaking news regarding baseball's lockout, Tuesday's 5 p.m. deadline has come and gone without a deal in place. Commissioner Rob Manfred is now canceling the first two series of the season, dropping the number of total games this year from 162 to 156. The last time something like this happened in baseball was 1995. And a new attraction is scheduled to open in New York City tomorrow. Visitors will be able to see some of the city's most iconic sites by flying over them. NTD's Ariane Pazdar got early access today. Who doesn't like fun rides? New York City's latest attraction right here lets you fly over the city in a roller coaster-like cinema. And it's right in the heart of the city, here in Times Square. The exhibition is called Rise and Why. The Flying Theater is the first of its kind in the Northeast, according to curators. Full motion seats dip, turn and soar, while wind, mist and scents enhance the experience. Visitors fly past iconic scenes like the Staten Island Ferry and the Statue of Liberty. Of course, the Brooklyn Bridge and Central Park are seen as well. But visitors also dive into the more local streets and basketball courts as distinctive New York City music starts playing in the background. The ride is around seven minutes long and ends with a flight through Times Square on New Year's Eve. The creative director told us that the exhibition includes much more than just this ride. 
Before you get to the ride, you go through seven galleries. It's really a love letter to New York City. Finance, skyline, radio and TV, fashion, music, film and Broadway. These are all things we think about when we think about New York City. So would you say it's more of an educational or more of a fun experience? I think it's fun. And if you can make education fun, then you've got something, right? He added that the experience can serve as a first stop for tourists who don't know where to start when visiting New York. If you're planning on visiting New York, you might want to stop by. Tickets start at $25 per person. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. Coming up, at California's capital, five are dead after a man shot and killed his three children and another person before committing suicide. And two shipping companies are facing a lawsuit over an oil spill from last year. The company that own, owns the oil rig alleges their pipes were damaged by ships and that if they had been notified right away, they would have made repairs. More in just a moment here on NTD News. A man shot and killed his three children and a fourth person before taking his own life on Monday in a church near California's capital. The Sacramento County Sheriff's Department told reporters near the scene that investigators were seeking clues to a motive for the bloodshed, but believed the shooting came from a domestic dispute. The shooting erupted at about 5 p.m. inside the church in Sacramento, located in the Arden Arcade community on the eastern edge of Sacramento's city limits. A church employee on the upper floor of the church at the time told authorities he heard a single gunshot, followed by several more shots before he ran out of the building and called police. I can tell you that the church will be putting out a full statement. Uh, whilst they're organizing, we're not at liberty to discuss any details about anything because of the families, which I'm sure you all understand. Um, so when our elders uh, are ready, they will release the statement to the media. Sheriff's deputies arriving at the scene found five people shot to death. Three children under the age of 15, the father and another adult who was not immediately identified by investigators. Our instant reaction was it's very sad because one of the girls was my age and it's like she had a, a pretty life ahead of her to live still and it's like she died very young with her other siblings. We were shocked that how could a father kill their own kids. The father was believed to have shot the four other victims before turning the gun on himself. Authorities did not say whether the second adult was related to the other family members or whether the person was a man or woman. Local television station KTVU cited Sacramento County Sheriff Scott Jones as saying that investigators believe the shooting unfolded during a supervised visit between the father and the children and that the fourth victim was the adult chaperone. A major oil spill in Southern California last year has led to both lawsuits and legislation. A new suit was filed on Monday, but this time it was from the company that owns the oil rig. They say it was shipping companies that damaged their pipes, leading to the disaster. Amplify Energy filed a lawsuit on Monday against two shipping companies, accusing them of dragging anchors over their oil pipe, making it spring a leak. The leak in the pipe led to a major crude spill off the coast of Huntington Beach last October. About 126,000 gallons of heavy crude oil was spilled into the ocean. The company is suing the owners of the container ships Mediterranean Shipping Co. and Dordelas Finance Corp., along with the captains and crews and other associated companies, as well as the Marine Exchange, which is responsible for directing traffic around San Pedro Bay. 
Amplify Energy is alleging that if it had been notified right away about the anchor strikes, it would have immediately assessed the situation and made any necessary repairs, according to a statement from the company. The lawsuit alleges that both of the ships had been anchored in San Pedro Bay on January 25, 2021, awaiting to unload cargo. A storm was brewing, so many of the other ships in the area took refuge in deeper waters. The MSC Danet and Costco Beijing did not. Instead, they remained anchored about 4.8 miles off the California coast, next to the undersea San Pedro Bay pipeline, which has been in place since 1980. Wind gusts up to 63 miles per hour in the storm that pushed waves up to 17 feet high and pulled the ship's anchors through waters where anchoring was prohibited. As a result, the anchors dragged a 4,000-foot section of the pipeline across the seafloor, the lawsuit alleged. Amplify Energy is seeking damages for harm to its business and reputation, as well as for repairs and replacing the pipeline, and for the loss of income from suspending its operation. For weeks, California's Santa Clara has been the only Bay Area county still with an indoor mask mandate. But now the county health officials say it's dropping the indoor mask masking rule. And TD's Cynthia Kai spoke with some locals to hear what they think about masking rules. Santa Clara County health officials say it's time to drop the mask mandates. Starting March 2nd, the county will be moving from a masking requirement to a masking recommendation, regardless of vaccination status. Some locals say they are ready to take off their masks, while others, not so much. The county has met all three metrics for dropping the mask mandates. It has maintained 550 or fewer cases per day for a full week. The county has low and stable hospitalization numbers and an 80% or higher vaccination rate. But we've reached a level where it feels safe enough to make the transition from requirement to strong recommendation. And that's the transition that we'll be making as of tomorrow, March 2nd. Cody added that there is no countywide vaccination mandate. Additionally, the statewide masking mandate for K-12 schools and childcare facilities will end on March 12th. Santa Clara County will align with state guidelines. Masks are still required on public transit in healthcare settings, shelters, and jails. Some people say they are ready to take off their masks. I personally don't like the masks, but people are going to be upset about it. Um, I, I honestly like feel like that we should uh, have our masks taken off finally, you know, show our true faces because that's what we needed like three years ago. Others feel it's too soon and the masks should stay on for a little longer. I think it's too soon. I think we should keep it for at least another year you know, until it has to decrease dramatically. And then I think that's when we're really ready or when we get like uh, a for sure vaccine that's going to for sure like prevents it, then that's when we should get rid of it. Santa Clara and Los Angeles counties were the last in the state to drop indoor masking requirements. Los Angeles County's mandate ended last Friday, making Santa Clara the last to drop the rule as of March 2nd. Cynthia Kai, NTD News, California. Coming up, a delegation of former U.S. defense officials arrived in Taiwan for a two-day visit. The White House Indo-Pacific Policy Coordinator says the U.S. will not take its eyes off the region. And Putin's threat of nuclear weapons still hangs in the air. Some say it's nothing new, but according to a French expert, it might be a sign the war will extend further into Europe. Discover why after the break here on NTD News. Monitoring foreign tensions in more than one region at a time is a difficult and expensive undertaking. 
But former top officials say the U.S. will not be distracted by the Ukraine crisis and that they will still keep a close watch on the Indo-Pacific. To back up the stance, a U.S. delegation led by former defense officials just landed in Taiwan for a two-day visit. A delegation of former U.S. defense officials landed in Taiwan on Tuesday. The visit was appointed by President Biden and led by former U.S. defense officials. It comes at a time when Taiwan has stepped up its alert amid the looming threat from the Chinese regime. Former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Mike Mullen is leading the five-person delegation. Two former National Security Council senior directors for Asia are also on the trip. According to a U.S. official, the trip looks to demonstrate Washington's continued support for Taiwan. Taiwan's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Joseph Wu, greeted the delegation at Taipei's Songshan Airport. The White House's Indo-Pacific Policy Coordinator spoke about the situation in the region Monday at a virtual event hosted by the U.S.'s German Marshall Fund. He said the United States will not take its eyes off the Indo-Pacific despite the ongoing Ukraine crisis. Even though engaging in two theaters at the same time can be a difficult and expensive undertaking, he described doing so as essential and noted this generation of Americans will demand it. Here, let me just underscore that there is a deep recognition and intention uh, here inside the government, uh, in the White House, to sustain every element of our uh, engagement in the Indo-Pacific. The delegation is scheduled to meet with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and other top officials during the two-day visit. Tsai's office said the trip would allow for in-depth talks on Taiwan-U.S. cooperation in various areas. Former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will also arrive in Taiwan on Wednesday when the delegation meets with President Tsai Ing-wen. Pompeo is coming separately and as a private citizen. And talks between Vladimir Putin and EU leaders have escalated. not since the Russian leader hinted at the use of nuclear weapons. A historian says the move could be a sign that the conflict might extend into Europe. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has this report. Vladimir Putin must understand that NATO too formed an alliance with nuclear weapons. This is what French Minister of Foreign Affairs Jean-Yves Le Drian said last week as a timely answer to Putin's threat to use nuclear force in the current crisis. This escalation in the talks between Russia and France marks a possible change in Putin's strategy. British Defense Secretary Ben Wallace dismissed Putin's threat as a mere distraction on Monday. French historian Philippe Fabry says Putin is addressing European leaders who are supporting Ukraine rather than making a direct threat. I think Russia wanted to intimidate EU countries in an efficient way, especially Germany, who at first did not want to intervene, but then supplied Ukraine with weapons, and other EU countries such as the Czech Republic, Poland or Finland. It's a signal to say you're not safe if you are provoking an extension of the conflict. Along with the UK, France is the only country that owns nuclear weapons in Europe, making it the first country that stands in Putin's way on the continent. Fabry says this redefines the space between Russia and France as a potential battleground. Putin using the nuclear dissuasion is a break in the strategy. In fact, this marks the return of a conventional war over space that is not covered by countries that can use nuclear weapons. Fabry is working on European history, particularly on the occurrence of conflicts. 
He was one of the first to have warned since 2014 that Russia would go for an open war in Ukraine. He says EU sanctions will have a strong impact on Russia and the alliance against Putin sets the conditions for a Russian defeat. But he says he believes the current measures won't stop the Russian leader. The most important point to me is that we shouldn't be too optimistic in what is coming. Many people said Putin won't dare. Now they are saying he won't make it. So of course it's important to morally support Ukrainian people, but it's a mistake to think they can win this war. The situation is serious for the West, and the current measures won't be efficient. Fabry says he agrees with U.S. expert Michael Kaufman. On a probable intensification of the conflict in the coming days, this might include a progression of the army with much less restraint in the engagement and the use of artillery. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. When Russia invaded Ukraine last week, some of social media's youngest users experienced the conflict from the front lines on TikTok. Videos of people in bomb shelters, explosions and missile strikes took over the app. But false news about the conflict was mixed in with authentic information. This report comes from NTD's Joy Felix. Some Ukrainian TikTok influencers have made it a mission to share information and spread awareness of Russia's war in Ukraine on the platform. Videos depict scenes of tanks entering towns and cities people in bomb shelters, explosions and airstrikes. TikTok has become so influential in this conflict, so the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, appealed to TikTokers in Russia as a group that they could help end the war. However, misinformation researchers warned that false news about the conflict was now mixed in with authentic information and has been spreading widely. Footage from video games and movies have found their way to the platform as if they depict the Russian invasion. On Monday, a Russian communications regulator demanded the app stop, including military-related content, saying much of the content was anti-Russian in character. Joy Felix, NTT News. A family with three generations of women left Ukraine yesterday and they're now seeking refuge in neighboring Hungary. NTD's Neil Woodrow has that story. 80-year-old Piroshka Baxa and her granddaughter are walking into Hungary at the Ukrainian-Hungarian border. They left the western Ukrainian village of Chominin along with her daughter. Piroshka's family convinced her to head to safety in Hungary, even though, given her age, she was reluctant to leave her home. This 14-year-old granddaughter was crying that they should bring me along at any cost. My two older granddaughters in Budapest said not to leave me there. I wouldn't have come, but they love me. The three family members are going to Hungary's capital, Budapest, where Piroshka has a further two granddaughters. You've got to leave your house, everything. My daughter has a dog, but we had to set it loose. There's no one to leave it with. Everyone is leaving. She fears, as in World War II, people fleeing the region as refugees or joining the fight at the front will leave no one to tend the fields. And the upending of her long life is already taking its toll. I can't sleep. I can't fall asleep in a strange place. You can't plant an old tree in a new place. It will dry out. This journey is hard on me. 
Her son-in-law crossed into Hungary two days ago, just before a Ukrainian order on compulsory military service took effect. Neil Woodrow, NTD News. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are forced to flee the Russian invasion. It's prompting one German man to drive 600 miles to try to help. Here's more. Some people outside the conflict feel compelled to help those fleeing Ukraine. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians are arriving at the borders. Footage of the humanitarian crisis led this German man to act. We have watched what's happening. We have seen the pictures on TV, my daughter and me. And we said, this is so horrible. We want to make a small contribution, however small it may be. But we believe it could make a difference. Karsten, who did not give his last name, and his daughter drove more than 600 miles from their home in Frankfurt to the city of Chemischul in southeastern Poland with the goal of finding a few people who need a lift and a place to stay. We have donated food and supplies and we'd like to take somebody to the region of Frankfurt. We are also able to provide accommodation for up to six people on short notice. With men of fighting age prevented from leaving Ukraine, most of those arriving at border towns are women and children. Wait times to cross borders ranged from a few hours at small crossings to several days at busier ones where lines on the Ukraine side stretched back dozens of miles. EU officials have said the war could displace 7 million people, among them Bulia Mohamed, a Ukrainian mother fleeing with her children. It's our country where we lived. It's a pity to leave your homeland. Home is always home. You always want to be at home. I have never thought that our children would be somewhere else. She found Karsten who will take her to Germany. Well, that was quick. We've been here maybe half an hour, and now the car is full. Car seats and suitcases loaded, they're ready for another long drive. Thousands more are left at the border, hoping too for the generosity of strangers. And as the situation in Ukraine escalates, home rental company Airbnb says its nonprofit arm, Airbnb.org, will offer free temporary housing for up to 100,000 refugees fleeing Ukraine providing some much-needed support. NTD's Chenny Wu has the details. Airbnb is offering free housing for Ukrainians displaced by war. The company said Monday it can provide homes for 100,000 people short-term. What we think we can do is provide housing for up to 100,000 refugees. But to be honest, we can provide housing for as many people as we have hosts for. Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky says they wrote to the leaders of Poland, Romania, Germany and Hungary. These countries share borders with Ukraine. The company is offering stays during the crisis. It will also work with governments to address the individual needs of each country. That could include longer-term stays. Imagine, you know, it was World War II and Airbnb was around. How would we want it to have helped? What would we have wanted to do? It's just a hypothetical exercise. But when you do exercise like that, you realize that you would regret not doing more if you could have and didn't. The stays will be funded by Airbnb, donors to the Airbnb.org Refugee Fund, and hosts of Airbnb.org. Several other companies have also offered support to businesses and consumers in Ukraine. Online crafts retailer Etsy is waiving about $4 million owed by sellers in the country. Verizon says it will waive calling charges to Ukraine for some customers. And Britain's Virgin Media O2 has removed charges for data used in Ukraine. More than 500,000 Ukrainian refugees have entered surrounding countries over the last four days. 
The European Union is asking member nations to give all arriving Ukrainians temporary asylum for up to three years. Chani Wu, NTD News. Coming up, Yellowstone National Park is celebrating its 150th birthday. It's the oldest national park, not only in the U.S., but also in the world. And a galactic collision caught on camera. We take a look at the new image from NASA. NTD News will bring you more when we return. Yellowstone National Park turns 150 years old today. President Ulysses S. Grant signed the, the Yellowstone National Park Protection Act into law on March 1, 1872, creating the first national park in the world. There are now 63 national parks in the U.S. Yellowstone sits atop a supervolcano. The Park Service says it has the world's greatest concentration of geysers, hot springs, steam vents and mud pots. The park has spread across three states, 96% of it is in Wyoming, 3% in Montana and 1% in Idaho. The park isn't planning any large-scale in-person events for the big anniversary for now because of the CCP virus, but it is holding virtual programs as well as some smaller in-person programs. And an amazing new deep space image it captures a literal war of worlds between two colliding galaxies. Let's take a look. An epic intergalactic battle was recently caught on camera in the heavens above. I, no, nope, no, definitely no. This is a newly released image from NASA showing the aftermath of a head-on collision between two galaxies. The amazing image captured by the Hubble Space Telescope shows two galaxies, NGC 2444 and NGC 2445, which scientists believe collided and passed through one another, igniting a battle of star-birthing domination. This galactic tug-of-war, experts believe, is being won by NGC 2444 on the left. That galaxy's massive gravity gravitational force is pulling gas from its companion on the right, forming the unusual triangle shape of star formations. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.